Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Welcome to Masterclass U.S. Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. This show has been designed to demystify the U.S. market for Italian wineries through interviews with experts in sales and distribution, social media, communications, and so much more. We will quiz each of our esteemed guests at the end of each episode to solidify the lessons that we've learned. So sharpen your pencils, get out your notebooks, and join us each week to learn more about the U.S. market. Hello, welcome to Masterclass U.S. Wine Market. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Alessandro Pasqua to the Italian Wine Podcast. Alessandro represents the third generation at Pasqua Wines, a Veneto winery founded in 1925. Alessandro is the president of Pasqua USA, and he has been in charge of sales and marketing for the North American market in Canada since 2016. Prior to that, Alessandro gained experience at Bain & Company and projects in Italy and Japan. Welcome to the show, Alessandro. It's so great to have you here. Thank you, Juliana. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Of course. So before we dive into today's discussion uh, about the U.S. market and Pasqua wines, tell us a little bit more about how you came to work for your family business. Well, you know, thank you for asking. I think uh, part of the of the guilt, you know, was probably our father, my father, Umberto, that uh, since the day one, you know, was always involving us in what was the family business, uh, what was all about uh, what is uh, a vineyard like, you know, and was always involving us playing uh, around it uh, when was possible. Then, you know, he had us almost like an opposite approach. He was always saying, you guys have to go out, you guys have to experience something new, you guys have to to learn. Uh, and, and so he let us very much free. And that's when uh, I was able to experience uh, with American firm of Bain & Company, you know, and, you know, and then it's kind of something you feel like yourself. You say, I did something, I, I, I did stuff around. And if I have to do an effort, if I have to sweat uh, blood and, you know, and run around, why don't you do for your business? Why don't you do for a family name or something that goes over and over to the next generation. Right. I think it was the desire of doing business on your own and and bringing this to the next two, three, four generations. Right. So gaining some outside experience that you could then bring back to the family business to invest in the future of the company. No, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, wine is part of Made in Italy. Made in Italy is one of the coolest things that, that you have somehow in the market. It's part of it, at least... Uh, there is the opportunity to travel the world. There is the opportunity of bringing something new to the table. There is all the digital landscape, which is completely or almost unexplored for the traditional wine business, right. mm-hmm. both on the marketing and the sales side of things, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, no, absolutely. No. And then sky's the limit, as they say. Absolutely. Well, Alessandro, in today's episode, we're going to focus on how do you maintain the ethos of a traditional winery, multi-generational wine company like Pasqua, but while staying relevant to present-day consumers. Today, Pasqua Wines is a really well-established player and also very well-established internationally, especially in the U.S. market where you're living and managing. So we really also want to focus on what you've been doing specifically in the U.S. market in order to see so much great success for Pasqua here in the U.S. We know that Pasqua USA was founded in 2009 in New York, um, and today North America has 
a value of over 18 million euro in sale, which is huge. So we're really excited to learn from you about what has made PASPA so successfully internationally, but also in the U.S. in particular. So three key takeaways for today's masterclass and what we're very excited to learn from Alessandro are, number one, how to transition a well-known third-generation winery like Pasqua into modern times. Number two, how to be innovated with a very traditional product like Amarone. And finally, number three, how to capture the attention of modern consumers, specifically in the U.S. market. So to start, you know, Pasqua now has headquarters in Asia as well as in the U.S., can you tell us a little bit more about the Pasqua U.S. specifically and how the presence in the U.S. market became such a key part of Pasqua's business? Absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, this is a little of a, a signature of the new generation, if you want, uh, invested in the business, where when it comes to, you know, my family started with Ricardo, my older brother, uh, who is now CEO of Pasqua in uh, Pasqua, Italy. He came in the States in 2000, in fact, in nine. At that time, Pasqua was doing some business uh, with some importers, uh, you know, was very managed uh, uh, off hands, if makes any sense. And mm-hmm. we were really never local and pushing and understanding and, and giving maybe the right attention to, to what this market could have been. So maybe, you know, uh, Ricardo, the, the desire of exploring a place like this and the support and the back end of my father saying, I see the business plan there a thousand percent. Let's go. And they founded the Pasqua USA Importer in 2009, in fact, with the aim to develop the Pasqua brand together with a couple of previous uh, tactical uh, brands, if you want, that are kind of have disappeared now. But uh, it's, uh, it's really the idea of developing the name, family name, in a market like this, which is so exciting. So it started with very few. Ricardo went to the States. They put together the company in New York and with the help of some brokerage at the very beginning. So that's a technical suggestion maybe so the support of third party brokers in some regions but still having control and being the actual importer for the for the wines was a very good kickoff for the first stages of the business and the reason being i believe is definitely the present mm-hmm. not uh, all the italian producer and we are we are many right sometimes that they have the will to spend time and, and, and resources to be present every day in a market like the US, which is more is bigger than Europe somehow at the end of the day, because there are so many states. Right. As you know, every state is different. Every state has their own relationships. Every state has their own dynamics. And so probably this was the real leeway to develop strong relationship in this business, which even after COVID in the digital age, with all the products you can count for, it's probably the real key of of uh, of our industry somehow i i hope i'm not saying something wrong here but you know sometimes the more i go forward the more i believe our industry is almost like the entertainment industry where right. we sell something fun we sell a, a release we sell a, a treat we sell a little bit of free time for the people and so it's build around relationship Absolutely. Quality of the product. No, the quality of the product went up so much on average in the every country was a producer. And I think everybody's doing a very good effort in, in the out package too. So the relationship and the on top of everything else, I think is a key factor. And when you're present in the market, I think this is invaluable. Yeah. And so since 2009, Pasqua has made an investment in the U.S. market to have a full-time presence here, correct? Exactly. Correct. And, and that started with my brother. And then, you know, I joined the company 
after being in 2016 okay. and the 2015 in the North American market. And so since then, you know, we really transitioned to what is a, a generational pass, which is of, so often very critical in Italian companies. And so with that, uh, our team grown from zero to about 15 direct people. Oh. And, uh, and and which uh, we were able, I was able to hire in the last years, and uh, and the business, you know, went really up uh, dramatically, which which uh, which is great because the beauty, I believe, of this country is the brand positioning you can make mm-hmm. and you can level above uh, everywhere, you know, right. and also the feedback you can get on the press in the US, I believe, are feedbacks that are kind of industry standards. And so those are really valuable across each market in the world. Right. You can use like the feedback from the press scores, etc. internationally. And when you're here in, in the US market, you have the ability to establish those relationships more closely. Absolutely. Plus, you know, you can learn some best practices regarding uh, incentives. You can get best practices regarding route to market, trade market consumer marketing you can deal with some of the best grocery of the world so or groups you know so you can learn what's the real best practice in some extent right not to mention the on-premise world you know you have places like new york city uh, some from the california area even portland maine i don't know some up-and-coming area nashville tennessee yeah absolutely uh, Austin, Texas. yeah i i found one of the best food in the country was in portland maine to be honest with you portland okay yeah. Exactly. You know, the, the fresh produce, uh, the sophistication of the, the scene. And, and again, and then so, so many up and coming places, you know, so much evolution happening uh, in this space, I believe, which is exciting. Right. And I think only by really being here in the U.S. market and investing in it, do you even discover some of those secondary markets, right? Because if you're coming once or twice a year, you're hitting probably your top five markets and maybe not even getting exposure to some of these secondary markets you're mentioning where you have less competition and you can really establish a stronger footprint. So it seems incredibly strategic, the investment that Pasqua has made in the U.S. market. It seems like it's really paying off. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, hopefully the best is yet to come, as they say. So Yeah, of course. (laughs) So shifting gears a little bit, Alessandro, you mentioned also one thing in the U.S. market that you find uh, intriguing and opportunity is the branding. So let's shift a little bit now towards the branding aspect of Pasqua wines. Obviously, the Veneto is a very traditional region. Amarone is a traditional style, even in the way it's been marketed. So how have you challenged as Pasqua wines the perception of the Veneto and of Amarone? Yeah, you know, I think uh, uh, maybe you said it very much before in a, in a sentence, like, how can you, can we talk to the consumer? Because at the end of the day, you know, it's a, uh, you do the product because you love it. You do the product because you believe in that and you want to see the generation of drinker being happy and receptive about that. So you need to talk to them. And probably to need to talk to, to these people, you need um, to be always uh, up to date uh, and understand what are uh, uh, your priorities and maybe the other people's priorities. First of all, you know, I think uh, you, you mentioned the Amarone. Amarone is a category, is a wine that we love. Uh, of course, is, is part of our DNA. Even if sometimes I feel sad uh, when I see that uh, it's kind of put uh, in a category, aside, you know, sometimes they do tasting and they say, oh, uh, why those wines are amazing, this Amarone is amazing, but it's another category. It's kind of a, a porta-like, it's a dessert wine, don't get me wrong, but it's characterized usually for being heavy, 
over-mature, over-structure, a little like not up-to-date, up-to-speed, if it makes any sense. Right. I hear alcohol, a little obscure or decadent, forgive me my, and, and I'm saying that as a mm-hmm. parting cause, of course. No, but uh, So what we do here, we try to achieve and embrace a style which is respecting the pedigree of the terroir, of the area, of Amarone, and uh, trying to respect that, but into the future, which means, uh, I don't know, we were having a... Um, a nice event uh, with the James Suckling and the great wines of Italy tasting some time ago. And the Amarone was poured in 2017, the current, uh, current vintage. And the, the, the way this wine drinks, the, the drinkability, the freshness, the fruit forward, the integration of, uh, of the tannins with the, with, the, with the alcohol, which makes it drinkable, not overly alcoholic or power. And almost reminds me, you know, some of these wines from uh, Oregon or Washington State, okay. even Pinot Noir. Huh. Now you may think it's crazy, but, you know, this medium, medium, medium full body, okay. happy, fresh, uh, fruit forward, yet uh, not uh, sweet. Right. And I think that's, 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 that's a goal, the elegance and the, and the liveliness. So stylistically, you at Pasqua have taken a, a different approach, it sounds like, to, the, to production of Amarone to, to produce a wine that's more in line with what we're seeing the market is is asking for. I mean, we've seen trends around lower alcohol wines. We've seen trends around just fresher styles, wines that are more drinkable, wines that don't necessarily need to be decanted for several hours before being enjoyed. So it sounds like you've adjusted and uh, aligned the, the style of the possible wines to match the consumer. Is that right? You know, yes and no. Sometimes when you say that, it feels a little more of a crowd pleaser. The, the reality is, and believe me when I say so, please, is that we, our mission at the end is to elevate the perception of the region in any product that we do. Amarone being the king of those, now from Verona. And Amarone, I, I generally suffer when it's put aside into the competition even, I don't know, think about the wine experience in New York. You have the best Bordeaux, the best Burgundy, the best Brunello, the best Barolo. Amarone is always this different character. And I would love Amarone, we would love Amarone to be comparable with the great wines of the world, full stop. For elegance, acidity, verticality. And so is maybe what now the crowd wants? Yes, but it's also true that you have people who love, uh, uh, you know, bombs, uh, like very, in your, as they say in the US, in your face wines, you know, we try to achieve more elegance, even in a wine like Camarone. So yes, packaging, we, we, we have a lot of fun with packaging, maybe more so in other items. On the Amarone is really the winemaking where we put all the efforts and uh, even a project like My Dear Mai, the single vineyard, that's where a project we are exercising with a, almost a champagne uh, density in the vineyard, which means uh, 10, 11,000 vines per hectare which gives a lot of extraction, a lot of, uh, of, of uh, contents into the wine, but then the acidity of this terroir is so crazy that it's, it's, it's comparable with Bordeaux and these guys, you know, and, and I think it's an achievement for Pasqua. Wine to Wine Business Forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at pointwine.net. You mentioned packaging a little bit earlier, and I want to talk a little bit about that because, you know, Paspa's embraced some innovation in its wines with these multi-vintage blends. So tell us a little bit about those wines, uh, how they came about, the approach to these multi-vintage wines, because it's definitely something unique for the region. 
Absolutely. And, uh, and you know, I think uh, the beauty of that is coming from about 98, about, let's say, 100 years of history in the region. You can leverage on this uh, track record, on this past, uh, to create something different uh, and which can be credible. Mm-hmm. And so maybe Pasqua was, you were mentioning the multi-vintage white, I think. So Pasqua is maybe one of the oldest producers, one of the old producers historical of Soave in the Verona area. And uh, with that tradition, we had enough time to experiment the Garganega grape. We had enough time to be around in that area. Mm -hmm. And we had the desire to elevate the region as much as we could. And so we thought that, first of all, selecting a single vineyard in the area of Soave Classico, which actually with a a designated under uh, sublocation, forgive me, I don't know how to say that in English exactly, uh, Uga, uh, of Monte Calvarina. So it's a specific uh, plot uh, of land where we wanted to enhance all the capabilities and and characteristics and and, uh, DNA of Garganega. So we decided, how do we do longevity? How do we give uh, uh, profound, profound, uh, how do we give... uh, layers of complexity, tertiary notes, uh, minerality, mm-hmm. you know, sulfur, and all these beautiful things that are a combination between uh, Trebbiano d'Abruzzo and, and, and Friuli and White Burgundy. And, and the multi-vintage was the idea that really uh, was mutuated by, from the champagne industry okay. uh, that we wanted to apply to the steel wine. And, and that's something that was never really done maybe before, at least at, in a, at a scale. And, uh, and, you know, once you come out with something like that, as far as winemaking, you really want to dress it up, uh, tailor around it a nice, uh, a nice, a nice dress, a nice package, right. because it deserves it, we think. And, and in this case, for example, to the wine called uh, A French, you could have made this, but you mm-hmm. didn't. I love the name. <laughs> and, and that's, that's, that's what we love. You know, you just had a, a laugh about it and that's what we want to provoke, you know, right. in the, Mile, uh, because it's a tribute at the end to great wines of the world like white burgundy but it's a little pride in the sense that the french they invented maybe the cuvee on the champagne but they really don't do that on the on the steel whites mm-hmm. and so uh, and again it's a game of classic and modern playing together we got a old bottle of pasqua from the 50s that was reinvented and designed and 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 disrupted by a French artist, a pop artist okay. named Cibioio. Mm-hmm. And so you have this old bottle that is completely full of color and, and paint everywhere, uh, very untidy and, 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 and noisy. And, and we love it, you know, it's yeah. pretty unique. And you're now in your third edition of, of this wine, correct? So I, I'm assuming it's been successful if you're making it now for the third time. So how is... This uh, this blend, this multi vintage blend, has been received on in the international market and in the U.S. specifically. Yeah, I would say good. You know, first of all, third vintage, uh, third edition means that it's kind of an early uh, early project, and that's true. We launched this not too long ago, right? And even if the library of vintages goes all the way back to 2013, uh, but uh, uh, no, th- very good. You know, because first of all, it gives an, a glimpse of how good. Uh, the volcanic soil of Soave and result. And, uh, and we've been participating mm-hmm. with this wine at uh, some volcanic tasting, volcanic soil tasting, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, it was successful because uh, it's fun. It's a little point of conversation. Maybe the sommelier uh, who embraced the project understands it. Love the idea of talking about something new from uh, uh, an historical region rather than the usual 
forgive me, you know, the usual Sancerre or the usual Chardonnay uh, from from the New World. And so it's going very well. Of course, it's a, it's more like a niche project catered to the on-premise. Uh, but I mean, my first customer mm-hmm. of, of this wine was a, a two-star Michelin French restaurant in New York City. Oh, wow. That's that's kind of surprising. Maybe they found it, you know, the label, though, to be, like I did, a kind of fun, intriguing, uh, you know, surprising label for, for a traditional list, perhaps. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, the, the high-end white wine from Italy, that category is not particularly crowded, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why not having right. an alternative to very established brand and super and super successful that we have from Friuli or, or, or Umbria? So, so right. yeah, 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 it's doing well. We love it. This person is one of my favorites. Yeah, no, and I had the opportunity to try it a couple of years ago and, and really, really enjoyed it. And actually, it was a really unique event that Pasqua had hosted the House of Pasqua at Italy back in, it was June 2021 when we were off with the COVID years. So tell us a little bit more about the relationship Pasqua has to art. You mentioned the art labels and the artists you worked with for the multi-vintage blend. Um, but tell us a little bit more holistically about Pasqua's approach to the innovation and integration of art into its wines. No, absolutely. You know, as we well know, you know, the wine is a product coming from clearly the nature and the land. And so it's a product that is very connected to the to the human being, clearly, maybe somehow more than others. In that regard, we believe mm-hmm. strongly that the emotional involvement is something that really needs to be a key factor in the consumption of, of wine and in the communication of it. And so we thought that uh, there is no better, you know, emotional involvement uh, and if somehow elevating that art, if you want, especially when it comes to what's happening right now. So when it comes to digital art, when it comes to all these new avenues of capturing attention, and, and evolving of art that we see around in these days. And so this project started with a press campaign, which was pretty successful for us. That was called Talent, uh, Never Tasted Better. And that, you know, was a, was a, some sort of mechanatism, if it makes sense in English, okay. some sort of sponsorship project that Pasco started with uh, three very strong, but still uh, unknown artists, okay. a dancer, and she was uh, a dancer at the Juilliard School of New York City, from Verona, a chef and an artist. And last but not least, the Italian golfer, uh, Francesco Molinari, okay. who won the British Open uh, some time ago. An artist in his field, if you want. And so the idea is Pasqua helping some of these people to realize their dreams uh, with a, a support uh, partnership, a sponsorship. And this uh, really started a like a virtuous circle where mm-hmm. the collaboration of, of, with artists has become now about 50 or 60s when the last one were the community of uh, Fuse from uh, Bologna. And we did a, an art installation called Luna Somnium during in Italy 2023, this year. And, and that's crazy, you know, because these guys took really like, uh, how you call it, like a, 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 an aerostatic balloon. We put it in the middle of a, a fair pavilion, the historical fair in Verona. Okay. And we did a, a laser an audio uh, spectacle inst- art installation, again, called Luna Somnium. So we embraced the, the moon and we reproduced the moon again in the middle of, uh, of Verona in a pavilion. Very cool. And when you do those things, no, exactly, it was incredible. But the, the best of it is when you see the city, the, the citizen of the town coming to visit what you do for, for, for it. So... In those events, usually we present a wine which has a, a story connected to the 
art installation we, we like to propose or if you will to offer to the city. So it's, it's really a path that uh, has, has uh, made us evolve and grow mm-hmm. uh, with it. And I imagine also an effort and an initiative, ideally, that's reaching new audiences for, for Pasqua Wines as well and allowing you uh, to tap into to new consumers, ultimately, to build a brand. See, that, that's, definitely, that's definitely part of it. The winemaking, and I think we spoke about it a little bit today, is, is key and is every day. Right. No, that's, that's a mission. But why not dress up this, all this work with a, a nice dress as well, you know, mm-hmm. because it deserves. And so it's a last mile. It's an, it's an additional effort we do. And I think you can create a brand which is more lifestyle somehow mm-hmm. rather than not being strictly traditionally a wine brand. And I think if you do that respecting what you have in the bottle, what's the real goal, what's the real, you know, product, if you do with respecting that, I think it's very interesting and kind of unique. Yeah, so definitely. Hopefully, new consumer will love that. Right. Yeah. And like you said earlier too, I mean, you're looking at wine as entertainment in a lot of ways, and I think that's a really smart way to be thinking about this product. It's a lifestyle product. It is entertainment. It's an indulgence for for people, uh, and bringing in that beauty and that art to it makes a lot of sense to me when you look at it from that lens of entertainment. Absolutely. And then I think that the if we are always able to keep clear and real that the research and development in the product is crucial, is key, because we can afford not even, you know, to go too far away and become just a lifestyle brand because right. we are not, with all the respect, but it's the nature of it maybe, you know, we are not like a spirit or forgive me, like maybe a ready-to-drink category mm-hmm. product. We need to respect, you know, and evolve in the in the category and in the meaning uh, in the winemaking, no, in the technique and in the in the research of the vineyard and what we can do, the sustainability, of course, and all of that. But uh, but yes, it's entertainment in a sense that it's uh, yes, it, it's a passion. It's it's something that make you feel you know free, make you rest, make you recharge the batteries because it's uh, an indulgence. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned Alessandro RTD spirits, other categories. You know, we know from a lot of research that's been being put out by Silicon Valley Bank and uh, Nielsen and uh, other research organizations that, especially in the U.S. market, younger drinkers are not drinking as much wine. And uh, I hear that you did some of your own research at Pasco Wines about younger consumers. So tell us a little bit more about that research project and and what you found out. Absolutely. Uh, That was a, a very interesting research that we commissioned during this year in 2023. And I think that the results that were there, the key results were that, uh, and we were not too surprised, you know, when they say people spend so much and always more time on the phone. The phone means uh, information, means uh, accessibility to all the products of the world, almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, It means uh, uh, involvement. It means uh, consuming not only the product, but for example, consuming art. And so... Uh, on top of all of that, I think there is a... Echo, if you ask me what could be a concern for me, uh, Alessandro, mm-hmm. in, the, in the industry, could be the consciousness of the, of the dietary uh, evolution and restriction, so calories and, and, and the support of alcohol in the diet, rather than, you know, of course, all what it is, uh, the, 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 the environmental changes. Right. So what product can stay with the same organolactic profile and, and can be sustainable still so that's another key item and so 
you know, you, you really see that people, generally speaking, prefer red wine when it comes to wine. They want to drink better. They are a spoiled consumer in a sense that there is so much education available. And so the selection mm-hmm. of wine is really, also when it comes to wine, is catered maybe to, when it's not uh, merely price, which is still is a thing, but the, maybe the majority is more like understanding where it's coming from, what it is about, who's making it, how does it look, where is it sold. And so information is really driving, I believe, the, some of the key decisions. And, uh, and that's why also we selected mm-hmm. the, the art and the digital art, because that's art that can be consumed by these people on the phone or in the digital devices. And, and the, those right. visuals, you know, speaks to them, make them feel comfortable. Like when you buy a nice pair of sneakers, you buy a nice pair of, of whatever clothes. I know it sounds crazy maybe, but, you know, you feel comfortable when you have a, a series of storytelling, which is... Uh, compelling and, and and bring you to explain mm-hmm. and explains you what it is about. And so definitely RTD are stealing a market share to probably Pinot Grigio. Rosé that was exploding for the last years definitely, I think, arrived slightly to a plateau where now it's more of a market share play among brands now than, than an expanding market. Uh, and again, you know, RTDs mm-hmm. are so successful maybe because of the calorie concerns, the dietary restriction, right? Right. The transparency on the labeling too, right, of the ingredients. You, you know, we talked about information and the younger generation wanting yes. information about what they're consuming, including information, you know, the caloric and nutritional information is key, correct? A- absolutely, absolutely. And then on top of that, you say gluten-free is only 31 calories, mm-hmm. or however it is exactly. Sugar-free, etc. Yeah, no, exactly. If you will, that's that was part of the success of Tito's Vodka, no? With, I mean, which is a phenomenon from Texas. Mm-hmm. Made in US, so sense of place, a little bit of pride in it. And, and then the, I believe you know, gluten-free was one of the key factors. But uh, no, no, absolutely. Those are the threats. And that's why... Even if I believe in the life, we believe, of course, in the lifestyle brand, uh, 360 degrees, you know, the winemaking needs to be always uh, the key. It needs to be something, you know, you never forget sustainability, organic portions are growing for us, uh, are becoming more relevant, the organic plantations. And so of course. It's, it's, it's crucial. It's really crucial. You know, that's when you retain the curiosity and the respect of the people, because when they're so selective, at least when it comes to wine, you try to do the best that you can in that regard. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, Alessandra, we're coming to the end of the episode and we like to end every episode of Masterclass US Market with a rapid fire quiz where we ask each of our guests to answer three questions in just a couple of sentences that will allow our listeners to better understand the US market. Because again, that's what we're here to to talk about. And you gave so many great insights today about your own experience uh, with Pascual Wines in the US. So Question number one, what is your number one tip for mastering the U.S. wine market? Work the market. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that's easy to say, find a right partner. Find the right importer. Maybe not being the smaller guy in a large organization, maybe try to be a larger player in a smaller importer, a smaller organization. Great advice. Uh, Number two, what is something you might have told your younger professional self about selling wine in the U.S. market? That's a good question. Uh, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Hmm. 
I like that. Always good advice. <laughs> okay. And finally, question number three, what is your favorite travel hack when doing market work? You mentioned doing market work and you know you're traveling often between Italy and the US and other markets. So what's one of your favorite travel tips? Uh, travel tips? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's really like an adventure all the time. Be prepared for anything. <laughs> Find a passion and, and, and read, read a lot. Yeah, read a lot. Okay, yeah. It's always good to have a book when you're on the plane. Physical books. <laughs> I enjoy physical books too. I refuse to get a, a Kindle and stay a little old school there. Well, Alessandro, thank you so much again for joining us today on Masterclass US Wine Market on the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Juliana. Thank you again. Ciao. Thank you for joining me today. Stay tuned each week for new episodes of Masterclass US Wine Market with me, Juliana Colangelo. And remember, if you enjoyed today's show, hit the like and follow buttons wherever you get your podcasts.